0: Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Education Lead. This is episode 148. I'm your host, ID350. i on Thursday night. is Dr. Teresa Toussaint, Dr. Larry Davis, Dr. Natasha Skye, Buddy Thornton Plus, so Shanghai's a poet, and Elder Renee Logan. Buddy Thornton Plus, so Shanghai's a poet, please tell all the people.
1: Good evening, everybody, and wow, what a panel
0: tonight. I am just humbled. And Elder Renee Logan, please say hello to the people
2: Well praise God everybody Thank you for being here to listen And for those that will tune in later I pray God's blessings upon your hearts And your spirits and your family And I also pray blessings upon those That are on the uh, podcast night That are also uh, participating Thank you kindly
0: And Dr. Natasha Scott Please say hello to the people
3: well hello everybody Thank you so much for tuning in And um, joining us And to hear what I what I got to say about My area of expertise Thank you so very much for having me on sir
0: Absolutely And the one and only Larry Davis Please have a look at the people sir Hello good evening
4: And uh, I'm looking forward To a blessed conversation Looking for my cup being field.
0: And it will be And with that being said, Dr. Teresa Poussant, please say hello to the people.
5: Hello, everyone. Sending you greetings from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Um, Thank you for having me on this evening. I really appreciate it as we get into this conversation to dig.
0: Mm, And we're going to dig a little bit deeper. With so much going on in the news, so much going on in our schools in our churches in our shopping malls and in our homes i think the time to discuss identity is so much so much prevalent and important for today that brings us to the next topic that is identity identify affects of roles of confusion those roles of confusion in our young people as they are developing into adulthood in 2020 Congress designated the new 988 darling code to be operated through the existing national suicide prevention lifeline they did it because There was an uptick of suicide. They did it to manage the call volume, to manage the trauma that was going on in families. I like to pull from a theorist, a behavior theorist, that I think is appropriate. His name is Eric Erickson. He's a behavior therapist who was interested in how social interaction and relationships affect development and developmental growth according to Erickson people progress through a series of stages as they grow and change throughout life into adulthood but during each stage everyone faces a developmental conflict during each step of development so they must learn how to resolve conflicts at each stage of development to be successful in their adulthood and if they transition from childhood to adulthood, teens may feel confused or insecure about themselves, about the way that they look, or about the way that people look at them, and how they fit into society. As they seek to establish their sense of self, teens may experiment with different roles, different activities, different behaviors. Some may be risky, but there's one thing that we know and we're going to talk about tonight is that we need to be able to identify those characteristics according to Erickson. Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's crucial. Because it's important in forming a solid identity and developing a sense of direction in life. Before we start discussing. This- This discussion I was reminded of something that my pastor said I remember while we were in the congregation he told us to say this word imagination and as we said the word imagination he broke it down he said what it really is is a nation of images I took it a different direction And I said, if it's a nation of images, then what image does your nation represent? When people see you, what do they get? Do they know? Do you know what's your brand, what's your logo? I want to go around the panel real quick and ask, what was the first thing that came to your mind when you heard the topic for tonight? I want to ask Larry Davis this first, I'm so curious. What was the first thing that came, and welcome again, to your mind, when you heard the topic for the night, sir?
4: Uh, when, I, when I got the topic, I was excited. I'm like, okay, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about some things that we can do. But in the midst of today, I got the news about a group of Texas educators trying to change the name, proposing that we change slavery to involuntary relocation. And when you talk about developing a child, how can you develop a child if if you have this elitist mentality that we want to protect this group of white children based on what happened to what we, what our ancestors did to them. But we, we don't want to acknowledge what happened to this group of children, their ancestors, and what they've been dealing with for over 600 years. So my mindset was well, we're going to be talking positive. But when I got this news drone, I, I just, my mind went somewhere else. And I started calling educators and colleagues all over the state because this is crazy. We cannot let this happen.
0: Oh, this is going to be good tonight. This is going to be good tonight. Okay. Uh, Dr. Teresa Prusant, what was the first thing that entered your mind when I gave you this topic for the night?
5: Actually, um, I am an educator as an adjunct faculty at a university, and I teach business students, so I don't teach children. Um, and I I have a lot of respect for those who do teach children, but I do have two daughters who I had to raise and, and, and bring up. But one, one of the things I taught them, or some of the things I taught them about identity and understanding who they are is to first accept who they are. So I brought up two young ladies and let them know that you are good just the way you are, because God made you. And so I try to teach them to accept themselves with all of their flaws, but also their God-given gifts. And that's why you're is because God gave you a special gift to use. That is your purpose. So kids understanding that they can, if, if, if they accept who they are just as they are, then the world will But if they deny who they are Then there's, there's much confusion about that So parents play a huge role in that And that's what I thought about myself As a mother bringing up my daughters Even after the death of their father Just Just making sure that I brought up Two girls who understood Who they were as black women In this world That's what I thought
0: Powerful Lady Thornton, Postos Change Agent Pro. We want to hear your thoughts. What was your thought when you first got the topic for tonight?
1: Before I go there, I want to tell Larry, I am firmly in your corner, sir. History is not about deflection. History is an additive event. You have to take the reality that you know, and then you have to take the reality that you discover, but you cannot deny, deflect, or try to change the reality because millions of people, right or wrong, are affected by that choice. And that is a disgusting thing that educators are doing if they're trying to do what you have related to us, which I feel shamed about, very shamed about. My thoughts were, yes, parents and educators have to work together and identify exactly what's going on in the minds of their children. And I think the word co-creation, came into being for what I was thinking
0: and we'll get into that when I answer my question. Great, great, great. And and thank you for responding to Larry Davis because the Lord knows I wanted to bring in Locals of Control but I know the conversation is just starting and it's just brewing and that's why I need to go to Elder Renee Logan next. What was the first and I know you had many but what was one of the thoughts that entered your mind when you got this topic for the night.
2: Thank you, um, Brother <laughs> Isaiah, Brother Jerome. Um, like he said, probably several things, but what I look at is I took some classes for, for psychotherapy and stuff and some of these things these people say, but the bottom line is, honestly, it's like, how do we get them back to the real life? Because they have been to so much that's not that's not helping them; it's hindering them for growing up. But you have children raising children, so there's a there's a breakdown. And at this point right now, I'm just wondering what what really is going on as far as the effects of the roles of confusion for the children, because a lot of these parents may be still in confusion. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And last but not least, Dr. Scott, Natasha Scott, what was the thoughts that came to your mind when you got this topic for tonight?
3: Well, when I got this topic, I looked at it from a different perspective. I looked at it from the lens of my scholars with um, special needs. So we have many kiddos that are uh, either diagnosed or undiagnosed with one disability or another. And it's the kiddos that look or appear to function like everybody else, but there's something else going on that uh, may warrant uh, a special or may warrant specialized instruction for them. And then they go out there and depending on how difficult schooling has been for them or is for them, They end up developing sometimes some very poor mindsets of something's wrong with me or things ain't going to never be good for me. Um, Nobody believes in me. And I see how that could potentially devastate them into their adulthood. So when I got this topic, I looked at it from that standpoint. Uh, Our scholars that have special needs but they um, typically are The kiddos you wouldn't suspect, or the kiddos who know, people know that something's going on with them, Uh, and they end up falling through the cracks, and there's a lot of things that happen with those guys, and uh, the dropout rates are high, especially when they felt like I can't do school, so what am I to do now? Um, That's what I thought about when I got this topic, and I thought about it from that standpoint.
0: It's going to be good tonight When I heard The rebuttal When I heard all the panelists Give their, their thoughts About the topic The first thing that came to my mind Was application Application How do you apply knowledge How do you apply Identity to a child that Says that I'm constantly getting things Wrong why is my answer always incorrect? Why am I making D's, and if I'm lucky, I, I get a C, but most of the time, I'm getting a D or an F. Uh, I, what does it feel like to get a B? Will I lose it if I get an A? And if I do get a B or an A, can I be consistent? Can I can I get it all the time? And so, how do we develop? How do we develop? choices how do we how do we provide our students with choices that are positive how are we being inclusive how are we accommodating those special needs children right so with this repetition with these scars and scars are not just with our students, let's face it. With everything that's been going on in education, our educators are scarred. Our educators are bleeding while leading. So let me go to Elder Renee Logan. Let me ask you a question. What effects are you seeing in the education as it relates to family members that have been affected? by the lack of compassion from educators. What are your thoughts?
2: Wow, Brother Drone, that's, that's a very powerful question for me to um, respond to. And I see things um, like, almost like an eternal circle, something that's consistently going on and never broken. And like you said, you have the educators that are are broken trying to teach children. But the agony of it all is most classrooms are overpopulated with children with not enough people to help or assist the teacher. And because of that, those, as she spoke of, with, with special needs get lost or get labeled, labeled that's not even really true. But once they're told they're stupid or they can't learn, they begin to go into a shell. And and if there's not someone there to help bring them back out, then again, like she said, you'll lose the child. But a teacher with a classroom that's got 40 children in it and it's one teacher and not a teacher assistant or a teacher's aide or a couple of them, it it, it makes it real challenging and then when the parent comes in and the parent's not quite learned because they didn't finish school now you got another fire or vicious circle going so you're trying to com- you're trying to make circles blend where there can be progress and process in order for each person individual that's involved to be healed made healthy and grow and there be no labeling and that's the biggest thing we have um, among our children is so much labeling where a lot of the children, they're not disabled as people think. They're just probably farther up than what people are expecting and they don't know how to identify it. Again, there's no there's no pun on nobody about that because it's not been something that we were taught to look for. And so at that point right now, that's what I'll say. It's it's really heartbreaking to see the children that are being Identified with with so-called disabilities, um, without ever really taking an opportunity to have them. Um, I don't want to say tested, but observed in a way to see um, what's more what's more important to the child. Maybe the child excels in one area better than another, but they're not getting accolades for what they can do well, and so that causes them to pull back. And that causes a lot of friction in the home and a lot of friction in the school. Thank you.
0: No, no, we thank you. I, I want to go to Larry Davis uh, and ask him a question because you, 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 you mentioned progress and you mentioned process. And we all know as educators, we have a type of diagnostic test. Uh, some people can call it performance-based, but we have that progress report, which to us is kind of like that diagnosis to give the parents, like, hey, this is where your child is right now, this is how we're diagnosing, uh, the assessment of what we taught and what your child is taking away from what we taught. And so I want to ask Larry Davis a question. How, how can we provide students with more meaningful interactions with the content, right? Uh, and, and I know we're still talking about identity, we're still talking about developing a sense of direction in life, but, you know, how do we weave in, how do we interweave Uh, the concepts of content with, uh, you know, real-life interactions. How do we provide students with meaningful interactions with content, right? And when 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 I ask that question, the word I'm thinking about is connections. How do we connect our children between the classroom and the, the real world, and and in doing this, we are helping them to reinforce who they are. We are we are we are well, helping them to form a solid identity. Go ahead.
3: Well, uh, I'm gonna chime in on that. So that part to cultivate that, in in my opinion, it would be it has to go beyond the textbook. It has to go beyond um what's in the four walls of this classroom some teachers are just surviving well based on this last school year most of us was just surviving so, and unfortunate as that was, but most teachers saw so many kiddos come back to the classroom and they felt like, how am I going to reach these guys? Like, I can't get them to mine, let alone open a book. So, in order for us, in my opinion, to, to get there, it's got to be meaningful to that scholar. When we're tapping in to, I call the kids superpowers. What actually interests them outside of the school, and how can we tie that into what's happening in the school? Because at some point, you need you, you need um, you need the ability to be able to do many things, and it can't just be all of what you like. Because all of what you like may not be what's going to get the bills paid. I got students who tell me I like to play video games. Okay, tell me more. There's a lot of people. Now we can probably get you into, I don't know, flying drones. How can that go beyond what you do? I, I have many students, like I, going back to the video games, they play those video games. Right now there's a need for for drone flyers. But if the kiddo never thought about that, it's just, well, I'm just going to play this game. I'm going to play my game. But do you know that the skill that you have to be able to play that game could pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. So it may not be you playing a video game, but now it's on a grander scheme. How are we making those connections, tapping into what the kiddo's like opposed to throwing it down? Well, that's not going to get you paid. How do we as educators actually cultivate that? So the way the kiddo presents it, um, we as educators, how can we help them dig into how could this go further? Um, some of our kiddos, um, I had one student case in point tell me they were going to be, um, what did my baby tell me? Told me they were going to be a neuro doctor. And I don't know where they heard the word neuro from, but um, they told me they were going to be the neuro doctor. And I said, oh, yeah. Okay, knowing that my students struggled to be able to even read, you understand me? Knowing that my students struggled to even be able to count, I said, well, tell me more about this neuro doctor you want to be. Um, Well, I get to help people. So now I'm in tune to what it is you were really after. This kiddo is a great helper. Um, So, okay. So instead of telling telling my kid and shooting down their thoughts that they could never be a neuro doctor. Who am I to tell them that? But, Oh, I see you like helping people. Have you ever been in the hospital? You know, have you, you, you we might be able to get you to, Come to pass out some, some, some magazines to some of the people that are sick to get in. You may not even really like being in the hospital, but the thing was, I like to help. So I think that's what happens. Sometimes we are listening to our scholars tell us something, and they're telling it to us face value. And we're thinking, well, this is my student, and they can or cannot do certain things. Like, why are they going to tell me this is what they're going to try to do? And I know that they are struggling across the board. How? 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 You barely get to school. How? How? You, you you get where I'm going with
0: I was going to go into, I, I talked about the diagnostic test, because we do the diagnostic test to see where the kids are and so now it's up to that child's intrinsic motivation to see their work ethic okay you want to be this neuroscientist this neurosurgeon do you have the work ethic to do it because you don't have to be the smartest person in the world to get a job done but do you have the stamina do you have the work ethic do you have the the determination are you resilient are you relentless and but You you barely come to school. You barely come to school. You complain about homework. You complain about having too much work to do. But but yet you have these aspirations. Where is the scaffolding? Where are the outside mentors coming in that's working in these dream jobs that our our children, our babies want to have? Are they putting in time for the community? Are they giving community involvement. They used to, and, and that, that would help, especially our middle school students where that identity crisis is at its apex, where that rose of confusion is at its apex. I believe that's one of the most vital places, but we often see it with college readiness in high school. We need, we need you guys to be there for our young scholars In middle school even I would say even in elementary school showing them role modeling to them demonstrating to them what it looks like by the way the panel still open who wants to take the next thank you so much dr. Scott
3: well I also want to add to that um, about that even with our kiddos that are in elementary so it starts young the foundational stages of what we are imparting into our scholars, what do we are, what are we imparting into our future? Um, if the kiddos at a young age feel like they're defeated, and I've had them as young as kindergarten, telling me that they are not going to do it and they can't do it, and it's like, baby, you just began to live. Where did you get that from? That you can't do something, that you won't make it. Where did that come from? And those are those outside forces that we as educators talk about that's out of our locus of control, right? So when my babies come to me, I am imparting life into my kiddos. If you feel like you, <laughs> you're going to conquer the world, let me show you what is going to uh, go into trying to do that. And then we're going to cultivate what you can do. But that whole thing that you're talking about, brother, it, it, it stems way, way deep, way deep on where our kiddos see themselves. And right now with so many voices around them, as young as preschool even, so many voices around them, they're hearing things and what we don't think our kids see and hear, they actually do see and hear. And how they're perceiving those things also goes into their identity of, well, my brother didn't make it, or my sister didn't make it, or my family's always in trouble, or they are always in trouble, I'm going to be in trouble. So those are a lot of things, like I said, and we as educators feel like, well, that is out of our locus of control, but what is in my locus of control is to speak life. What is in my locus of control is to point you in a direction that you thrive in. That is isn't my locus of control, sir. And I've been an educator for about 20 years now, and um, to God be the glory is all I can tell you, because I could have been one of those children where um, I could have been lost based on some bad apple teachers that I had. So I made it my mission to not be an educator that way. I had some bad apple teachers, as. Uh, And at the beginning stages, really, they were bad, (laughs) but I had a mama that believed in me and cultivated what Tasha could do. Yeah, it was, I was a different type of a learner. I saw things differently. Um, I needed to perform things in a different manner, but we still got to the same end result. And I'm sorry, I don't want to take up the time, but now, honey, I'm in my element when I'm talking about the children in which we educate oh. that I've had, that I've had, where it was, had I not had a mama that believed in me and some teachers who believed in me, it drowned out the loud noise of the teachers who didn't. And I'm here to say, to God be the glory, I'm Dr. Scott, but if I had to listen to some of the negative comments that were said to me at the early stages, the fire that could have been put out, what about that identity? What about that? I could have been stuck saying, I ain't going to be, I'm never going to go, I'm not going to do, I could have been that but mm, God had a better plan for me and I'm walking in my purpose now.
0: Ooh, you, listen, this is fire, this is fire. I can feel the panelists on the edge of their seat. Faith comes by hearing. But the substance of faith is hope. Substance of faith, hope. So when you, when you stir up hope, when you set aside hope, when you collaborate with people that got hope, now you about to see a change. Let me go out the buddy towards, I, I'm shocked. We're, we're doing a lot already. We're doing a lot already. But what do we need to work on to get things together as it relates to helping build uh, the strength of our, our young people and to take the time to help our young people cultivate on different levels, to accommodate to our young people on different levels, to help them excel, and and even pass these tests because they're not going anywhere. Larry Davis, I know you're there. I know how you feel about these standardized tests. They're not going anywhere in our lifetime. So we're gonna have to just bite the bullet and find ways to get our students to excel uh, when when they take these tests, Buddy Thornton. What's your thoughts, sir? Talk about it.
1: Well, I, I think in my answer, you're going to, yeah, I'm going to play off of Dr. Scott's passion about this topic. But in the introduction, you brought up Erickson, and I have to go a little further back from Erickson to really qualify my answer. PJ at the turn of the. Uh, from the 19th to the 20th century was doing studies and he identified three different things that are very apropos to how we arrive at confusion, especially as a teenager. Children uh, create and understand agency, how other people affect the environment besides themselves, sometime between the ages of two and six, depending on how active their environment is. Then they start picking up the concepts of reasoning inductive reasoning is between ages seven and eight and that that's because they're discovering the world they see it and then they try to apply it to everything around them which does lead to some confusion when uh especially like a minority child runs into a white child for the very first time and the white child does not treat them in a good manner what is that child what is that minority child supposed to think other than that all white people are going to treat them that way That's an example of what Piaget observed in that age group. But then as you mature a little bit more, you start picking up the opposite uh, type of reasoning, deductive reasoning, where you can start realizing, well, you know, uh, I can't really generalize like that. So I'm going to look at the premises of what's going on. This is this and this is that. So how does that apply to that thing over there? And so they start thinking deductively, and they start realizing that they can look at their premises, and they can take generalizations and either ignore them or accept them, but come up with specific conclusion. And then they pivot to abstract thinking somewhere around the age of 12 or 13. And that teenage angst that all teachers just love about middle school, that's where those kids are. They've just jumped from inductive and deductive reasoning to abstract thinking, and When you combine that with the natural inclination of a teenager to want to self-define, they want to find their identity, they want to know where they fit in the pecking order. So what they end up doing is they fall into what another developmental behavioral psychologist, Kohlberg, said. They start moving from social focus to leveraging social focus through abstraction. Their identity needs abstraction to really formulate over time. They can't really get there unless they do that, which takes us back to what you brought up, Erickson. Stage five is from early teen years to the early 20s, and the biggest conflict, the biggest problem that these kids face is they want to socialize above all else. So we have what is known as social integration conflict. How do they socialize? and yet still integrate all of the conflicting interests that are going to be thrown at them through their developing years, as through junior high school, middle school, however you want to label it, high school, and perhaps the early years of college. And as they learn how to integrate their socialization into all of those other conflicting interests, that's how they mature. They need the conflict, and they need the confusion to actually drive stressors that will allow them to learn how to adapt, have the ability to cope, and then they find an area that we call abstraction and concrete synthesis. They need to think abstractly, how does this apply to me and not anybody else, or how does this apply to everybody else and not me, or maybe am I included in that group? And so you ask the question, how do parents, educational leaders, educational teachers, the societies that we depend on to educate our children – get through that curve with these children. Well, how about first of all, they need to take the job. I'm a parent coach and I run into a lot of people who just, they don't accept that that's their job. They think it's everybody else's job to help their children develop. They, they brought them into the world, they had, boom, they're here, they're not my problem anymore. And that's sad because there are people like Dr. Scott's mother who are completely the opposite. They understand they need to be involved. So you have to observe the development of the child. That's the number one thing, because if you don't observe where they are and you don't pay attention to what the mistakes are and what the good things are, you can't communicate with them. And then you need to ask them, what's exactly in your mind? Then you can formulate a plan based on their body of work, what you've observed over time, and their passions, what they want, what they love. And you need to accentuate what emerges. You need to really play on what they believe is passionate. Yes, there are standardized things we have to do. That's a given. But above the standardized minimum, we need to accentuate what emerges as their passion, as their strengths. And we need to stop chasing what's just not there. If a child is not going to get to a certain place... Find out what they're passionate about and do everything in your God-given power to get them where they are passionate about because that's where their locus of control and their intrinsic motivation is focused. That's maximizing the potential within the child instead of trying to make all of the children average, which is what our educational institution is designed to do. They make every child just an average child, and that's their goal. Let the superstars rise above the rest because we can't slow them down but everyone else, they're just in the muck. The last thing I want to add is, these are children, but they're developing human beings. They are going to formulate an identity, no matter what we do. They're gonna formulate an identity based on what they see in front of them and what their abstract thinking brings to the table. Our job is to simply look in the mirror and say, what can we do to positively influence their jury?
0: legendary let me open the panel oh my god we almost got time. I still want to open the panel let me open the panel with this question I want you to ponder this question and you can respond to it whoever wants to go first they can go first when you see a child what does that mean to you when you see the future of a child and their possibilities what does that mean to you If you can describe it in a few words, perfect. If not, we want to hear it anyway. What does it mean to you when you see a child developing? Because me, when I see a child, I see a seed. I see a seed that is planted, and that seed has to be watered, and that seed has to go through a process, and that seed has to go through a process of discovery, not knowing. And it takes time to develop. And as that seed is growing through the dirt and breaking through the dirt, it's entering into a totally new environment and it starts all over again. It's almost like giving birth. That child is in the womb and when it outgrows the womb, is, it burst into a different environment. Who The panel is open. When you see a child and you see their potential, what, is that, what do you see? What does that mean to you?
5: This is Dr. Busan I just became a godmother. My goddaughter is Kalani. She's two months old. The reason why my great niece asked me to be the godmother is that she want me to have a major influence on this little baby's life. Her mother is not educated. Her mother did not even graduate from high school. Her mother in the sense of uh, um, black, uh, um, I said, language that we have is that my, my great niece is as ghetto as they can come. But I want to help her guide this little soul that I get to see um, um, to guide her where her mother can't help her. And when Buddy was, was speaking, I was thinking about, yeah, um, I know that uh, Dr. Scott's mother was there just like I was there for my children. But I, I want, I'm thinking about the children who don't have that support at home. The children who don't have the parent who says, my child is is, is special. My child is valuable. My child is worth. But you actually have parents out here who tell their children they're not worth anything. So they don't believe they're worth anything. So parenting plays a huge role. We cannot put it all on the educators. They simply can't do it by themselves. So my goal for Kalani is to show her, to love her. Right now, I'm just loving on her. I get her, and I just ooze out love. That just because that, that's my job right now is just to love her, because she can't understand anything else at this point. But I want to I want to make sure that I am there as her godmother to be to say that you can be what you desire to be. So in my daughters both are very creative people. Very creative, uh, and, and, and so I, I, I nurtured their gifts at a very young age. Cordelia was a classical violinist, picking up the violin at, at the age of five. Felicity is my drama queen. So I knew that they didn't want behind-the-desk nine-to-five jobs. They're creative creatures. All I did was recognize that and nurture those gifts. That's what we're supposed to do as parents. But he said that as well. We got we to we watch them, see what it is that they love, what they're passionate about, what, what is their God-given talent, and guide them through that. And that's what I want to do with my God daughter, to be able to just guide them. But that's what I see. I see the potential of being the next Supreme Court justice or, or the next uh, president. You have to be able to see that in their eyes. And I'm looking at this little beautiful black, and she's a chocolate chip, too. I call it Coco. Um, and, and just look at her and how beautiful she is and what can, what. But, but she can also go in the other direction, too. It depends on that environment that they brought up in, what their influences are. And Dr. Natasha, again, I want to tell you, um, I, had, I had some teachers, too, who were bad apples, who told me I, would, I, could, I was wasn't college material. And today I hold three degrees. Don't tell me what I'm not. Tell me what I can be. So that's what we have to enforce in our children and, and any child that we see. You can be great. I even tell my MBA students, don't stop with the MBA. If you want to pursue a doctorate, go for it. Follow your passion. No matter, you know, some of these things you, I hear you all talking about in children, I see in adults who are still not confident in who they are or what their potential is, or what their true passion is, that has actually moved all the way to up to adulthood. So um, I do the same thing, though. I just give them the positivity, the positive reinforcements to say that you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. That's why it's important to let your children look themselves in the mirror and say, I love me for who I am. And I stress that to my daughter and I will stress it to Coco. You are beautiful just the way you are. You're beautiful, you're smart, you're intelligent, you can you can accomplish anything. You have they have to get that reinforcement at home because they're not gonna they're not gonna likely get it outside. Even through their teachers, maybe they may be lucky to get a teacher to say that. But teachers have, you know, fifteen, twenty students in the classroom. We can't expect that from them got to be at home that's very very important and my daughter felicity was bullied she she said middle school was her worst because that's when you get a little chunky that baby fat is still hanging in there on you and you're not just so sure about yourself and so she had identity problems i said you my love for you is unconditional it is not based upon how you look what you say none of that so I had to make sure that she was good when she left to go to school in the morning, that you are good. This is the way God made you. You're not going to always look this way. Those glasses will come off one day and replace with contact lenses. You know, but, 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 but you got you to gotta keep that in there. And, and she's a confident young lady today. And that's what I would tell Coco. You, you, you got you to gotta give it to her. You got to guide them. Starts with reading, reading books. My daughters read a lot. Start reading, I, I have books for Coco, I read to her when she's here. is developing that, that, all of that right now as she uh, continues to mature and, and grow. But yeah, definitely telling them that they're beautiful and they are loved just the way they are because sometimes you're not going to hear that from society, that's for sure.
0: As an educational consultant, I want you to tell us what do you do? What do you do? How are you affecting these children? What do you do?
3: Well, brother, that is an awesome question. I'm still learning what I do. No, I'm just playing. No <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, what I do is I mm-hmm. <laughs> no, what I do is as the educational consultant, like I said, I've been at this about twenty years and I know where my journey started and what kids, what scholars that I've grown to know and cultivate and propel on to the next grade, what I do exactly as a consultant is, I go in and I help other educators get gains from their kiddos. When they tell me those pain points of, I can't just get them to do, I can't do, Dr. Scott's got a a, uh, remedy for that and I'm going to show you how to tap into it. So when you're beat down as the educator, who's imparting into me? So let me show you how we're going to do that. Because at the end of the day, greatness is in you. And we're going to go and show the world our greatness. But that is what I do. I help students. I help parents. I help educators tap in to our love bugs. And yes, I do call them my love bugs. If if nobody knows anything more about me, they know that I love my students. Each kiddo, each scholar that comes through my doors, know that they are loved. They are loved. Even when, when they're naughty, they are loved. And I do everything in my power to help them to reach their max capacity and show their greatness. But as a consultant, I go in and try to help teachers see their greatness. Because it's hard when you get that one kiddo or two or three, that's like a conundrum to you. It's like, you know, and I always hear it. Well, I'm typically good with the kids, but this one over here? Well, let's see what we can tap into so you can see where your greatness is with this kiddo. Some of our kids are hard nuts to crack. Whatever the case may be So much trauma depending on where they fall at On the developmental scale Our babies, it's really hard to do any wrong In my little kinder's eyes But by 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th grade They're looking at you with the side eye By high school, dude, don't come for me Because I ain't come for you And God only knows what they've been through By the time they get to high school so, as a consultant, that is what I do. I go in and help families. I go in and help those parents how they can impart into their child's life, especially if they have a child that has a disability. That's hard. When I talk to my parents that have children that have disabilities, it's difficult. So, it's hard to go out. It's depending on the disability. Uh, people are saying that you should just do this, and you, you, you should just. That's hard because that parent is living with that child 24-7, 24-7, 365 days a week. And when we get them at school, I don't know, these parents ain't, these parents, I, I got a newsflash. Regardless of how we see the parents, every day they are sending us the best they got. That's, that's it, hands down. The parents are sending to school the best they got. And we as the educators have to take what they sent in and see how we can cultivate it. So we see more positive than the negative. And that's difficult for many educators, especially when they're barren. Their cupboards are empty. Who's imparting to me? You know, there's one more test I got to give. There's one more meeting I got to go to. There's more papers I got to grade. Who's imparting to me, let alone I got to take care of my family And I got to take care of my kids That's a lot on the educator But we still got to show up For those 25, 30 babies that Look at us every single day that they come to that School So in a nutshell, as the educator I help others Pull out their greatness Greatness was pulled out of me And I go and show others How to tap into their greatness especially when you feel like it's gone like there's nothing great here oh i beg to differ there's greatness there we're gonna tap into that greatness because greatness is in you and that's what i tell each one of my babies every day greatness is in you any kiddo that had had dr scott as a teacher will tell you greatness is in me and that's right it is and greatness is in our educators Greatness is in our parents Greatness is in our society We got to tap into it But when that negative voice Have drowned out The greatness You begin to believe the lie So Dr. Croissant I think it is you said When she was talking about It it can't just be the teacher It's got to be the parent But that parent is sending us the best they got But that teacher also Needs to pick up where the parent can't, and we as educators, we hope, if we really good, we hope that the voice that our students hear is the positive one we're given the loudest, because it's real easy to hear that negative voice the loudest, because as a parent, even being a parent putting into their children, sometimes the kids, for whatever reason, you're not the loudest voice they hear. And um, as Dr. Pichon said, middle school was terrible for her daughter. It was terrible. Those kids have no chill. Zero. Not even for our teachers talking about my shoes. I said, "Oh no, you didn't talk about my shoes." I paid twenty nine ninety five. at wrong. No, you didn't talk about my shoes.
0: What you told us tonight is if we get, if we figure out a way to. Show intrinsic value in our in our babies, in our in our kids, in our students, in our scholars. They will mine for gold. They will dig. They will discover who they are. They will discover what their assignment is in this earth realm. Whether they are educators, whether they are community leaders, whether they are entrepreneurs, they'll find it. Mm, that was rich. Um, the news station did a segment on me uh, this week it was three news stations Channel 5 and Dallas Channel 11, Channel 8 I don't usually do this but I didn't even know they were coming in there and they came in the week before Father's Day <laughs> my students at the summer camp made cards Father's Day cards for me and Father's Day posters and they post them all over the room. So when this news station came in, they saw that. And I I, I got them right here with me now and it, it said, you know, number one dad, happy Father's Day, number one person. Sometimes as educators, we're the only positive role model that our babies are gonna see. Okay. And it's so crucial, because when we role model, but I'm not perfect, but when we role model what it should look like, I believe it really helps our children.
1: I think it's really important that we embody what is missing in these children's lives. If they have it, they don't need it. But if they don't have it, we need to be there to provide it. Our mission with the nonprofit we work in is mentoring kids who don't have what they need to have. My mission as a writer, when I write books to help parents raise their children, it's so that I can help them give them what they do not have. So it's all fine and good to understand what they do have, but we need to be able to look deep, deep, deep into their souls and see what they don't have, and then do everything within our power to provide that.
3: So my big takeaways for this evening, thank you to everybody on the panel and all your expertise. Um, is to continue to cultivate the greatness in our kiddos. We have to do it by all means necessary. Cultivate it because we don't really know whose voice they're hearing the loudest. We hope that it's our positive one that they are.
2: Well, one of the things I I, I took away from what they were saying is something that um, is prevalent even today, and that's train up a child in the way he should go teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's where a lot of us as, as in my generation has missed it. We haven't trained the child up for God's wisdom, but more importantly, we haven't paid attention to the talents that the child has. We haven't checked, really paid attention to the abilities the child has. And so this is causing a lot of confusion. Once we tap into that and we we're teaching them that, that helps build their self-esteem because now they know that somebody's interested in them and not just being, quote unquote, a child that's been spit out. And it was so, so impactful. Both doctors have said so much. I'm so full. They've said so much, but it still reminds me that there's a lot of work to be done because education isn't like it was in the in the 70s or 80s. And it's and it's turning and evolving quicker than we can we can blink. And trying to keep up with it is 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 the challenge at this point because we know that we have to go to another level and another dimension in teaching and training our children because of the different video games that are out there that's pulling them away from schoolwork or whatever. But some of those games are teaching them how to count, how to read. eye eye and hand coordination. So these are things that they get out of that. So again, we should be able to see what is in a child by the grace of God, by watching what they do. Some children are frustrated because they know they got something inside of them, but they seem like
5: they can't fit in. Well, my takeaway is that um, looking at this from the educator's perspective, um, I can definitely see it from the parent's perspective. and, and, And I just... I've served on several boards of nonprofits with 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 educators, and know that parents um, there's just not enough parent participation. So my heart really goes out to educators. It is such a challenge, such a challenge to um, to be successful in doing this. I mean, you may I I I just don't see that that it, it is impacting. A lot of students. Okay, I can see it may be impacting a few, but what can be done on a grand scale to really impact students? I think that there's just way too much responsibility on teachers to do this uh, where the parent left off, per se. Uh, I, I, would, I would seek more of a partnership Um, I was always in a partnership with my daughter's teachers, and it's that partnership that can hopefully help um, increase the success rate of this. I mean, because as I was growing up, I can remember maybe one or two teachers who really impacted my life. And um, but I had many teachers throughout my life, so it should have been more than that if I was getting a lot of influence. So I'm just saying that I what I take away is that it is extremely challenging for educators, and my heart really goes out to them because I know that they they're trying to save every kid and they're trying to do their level best to to bring out the best in kids. But um, when when you go into a classroom and you have some kid who may not be quote unquote labeled as special need I remember I did some guest lecturing in the DC public schools and I went into a classroom and there was a mixture of students and some of the students in there had learning disabilities and so they're all lumped into one classroom and I'm like well how do you really get to this kid give this kid more of your attention than the other kids need so I just see that a, it is just a daunting challenge for educators and that's what I got from this